I'm going to open this podcast with a quote. The question isn't who is going to let me, it's who is going to stop me, Ayn Rand. For those of you not familiar with Ayn Rand, she was a Russian-born writer and philosopher who is credited with creating and popularizing the philosophy of objectivism, a philosophy most prevalent in her two most well-known novels, The Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged. Now, we're not here to debate the demerits of objectivism. No, I use the quote not because it popped up first on the Google search, it does, but because I feel that the ideal reflected in that quote led to the development of the Bioshock series. The director and writer of Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite, Ken Levine, cut his teeth as a writer on Thief the Dark Project and System Shock 2, the latter of which many declare Bioshock to be a spiritual successor to. His experience with both these games led him to write and direct Bioshock, but the development of Bioshock wasn't without its detractors. Despite the resistance, Levine and his team persevered to deliver the game he envisioned. Things were not much different with Bioshock Infinite. You forget the for What? You forget Bioshock 2? Oh! Oh, well, that's because Levine had nothing to do with it, but don't worry, we'll get to it. So ultimately, the only one who could stop Ken Levine was Ken Levine himself. And that's very fortunate. The Bioshock series may be a first-person shooter, but what separates it from other games of its type is its world-building. Despite the fact that Rapture and Columbia are fictional locations, they feel believable because their design was based on very human ideals. Maybe flawed human ideals, but human ideals regardless. These places were built with the best of intentions, but when we join them, they are reflections of the darkest parts of extremism, of blind faith. And realistically, your role is not to be the savior of the world, but to survive it. So now it's time to hear the voices of those who survived. Now we can speak of the Bioshock series. See you at the end of the show. swim in different oceans but land on the same shore it always starts with a lighthouse what's up everyone welcome to another podcast what we got here going on tonight is our podcast on bioshock now some of you out there may be wondering why we're covering bioshock and god damn it james wanted to do it so we're doing it right james Yay. Ooh, <laughs> Wait, hey, you're the one who brought it up. Why are you not more enthusiastic about this? <laughs> All right. Yay. All right. And then uh, to, today we also have Frank and Mike B joining us. These are all returning co-hosts. They have been here before several times. Uh, if you remember Mike, he discussed his love, his uh, unrequited love of Sonic. And you can see it behind him along with his cap. <laughs> Then we got uh, Frank, who's probably going to be fighting with his kitty all night long, so don't be surprised if he has to step out every now and again. Yeah, he's being uncooperative. So the reason Bioshock came up is uh, James brought up to me that he's been playing through the um, what 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 version is it, James? The um... so yeah, this is the uh, the HD collection Thank that you. they re-released on. I think it's on most of the the current gen systems. Yeah, yeah, it's on the one the. What's it called? The PS4. I don't know if it's on PC though. I think there's just like the uh, remastered versions that they had on Steam, but those are old versions. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and they're all separate. They don't have like a collection bundle or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I don't think. Yeah, this yeah. is the actual collection. It's remastered in HD. And so the reason um, we want to talk about it is all of us have played this, though. Not all of us are of the same positive opinion of the game series, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, what we want to start off with today is talking about a little bit of the history of Bioshock. Uh, this actually goes back to the uh, early 90s, and I'm going to start us off with just uh, going um, explaining a little bit about the backstory where um, the company that we're going to be talking about is... Um, uh oh crap i forgot their name was it lighthouse technologies no it wasn't lighthouse anyone remember what they were called wait are you talking about the developers of system shock yes it was uh looking, looking glass, glass. Studio? Looking looking glass. glass. that's right yeah so yeah. they went through a couple different name changes uh but when they were looking glass technologies they were working on ultima underworld and then ultima underworld 2 both of those games were headed by um warren specter of deus ex fame which came later and what they wanted to do it was take the concept of ultima underworld which is a dungeon crawler and uh basically do it in space and that's how the concept of system shock came about but it was also really important that the uh gameplay that would developed was um um not immersive there is a word for it but basically where the player can control or i guess the player would experience themselves into the role yeah uh the, but there's a there's a word for emergent it was emergent gameplay where you know you go through the game and certain things would happen uh based on players uh the players interactions with the game so the, the experience wasn't always the same and it wasn't always the way the developer intended it was kind of that concept where you know, and the the Mike brought up earlier uh, before we started the podcast, Elder Scrolls. And if you remember, to Elder Scrolls Two had those those dungeons that were constantly um, changing. If you left the dungeon and went back, it would be a completely different dungeon. It would not have the same layout, so you'd only get that one experience through it. And though System Shock wasn't like that, the concept was to make it so that as you went through the game, you never felt like you were playing the same game twice. And uh, with System Shock Two, that changed a little bit when they brought in a different group of people to work on it because Warren Spector is busy working on Deus Ex. It's just dialogue that changes then? Well, and if you remember, well, the thing is, none of us in this group have played System Shock, right? I yeah, I haven't played the first one. Okay, so no, I there's, there is no like dialogue trees in System Shock. One of the big things that they made a, a deal of is that they felt that in Ultima Underworld 2, the dialogue trees actually slowed the game down. So what they did is they have no living people in System Shock. All the story is told through records in the game. So you find an item of someone that someone left behind, like a recording. Um, that's that's the story. And as you read those recordings, you get more of the backstory of the game. Not dissimilar from Bioshock 1, right? Where you find a lot of those recordings from people that were left behind. And Most of the Bioshocks are like that, yeah. Right, exactly. And there's a lot of games that have been influenced where you find those recordings. I mean, there's going to be tons of games that we talk about that have been influenced by System Shock aside from Bioshock. and uh, But that's one of the things that System Shock, that they removed the concepts of dialogue trees because they felt it slowed the game down based on the way dialogue, dialogue trees were designed back in the day. Of course, that's changed a lot since then. Um, 
But with System Shock 2, that's where Ken Levine comes into play now. I don't know if you guys know what Ken Levine was doing before uh, working on System Shock 2. He was responsible for writing, for being the creative director, uh, or I'm sorry, the writer for Thief. If you guys remember the original Thief game that came out back in the day, which is an excellent game, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. But he was responsible stuff, for the writing. Yeah, very good stuff. And uh, so they brought him on board to continue doing the writing for System Shock 2. And it was a completely different director and producer. Warren Spector was busy working on Deus Ex, so he wasn't working on System Shock 2. So the gameplay changed a lot. Uh, it was less it was less standard, or I guess it was more standard RPG elements than the original one, because uh, the original one does have RPG elements, but they're more under the hood, or they don't, um, they, they don't use them in the same traditional way as uh, other RPGs did. But in the second one, uh, they're a little bit more traditional where you collect experience points and you can level up your character or level up your weapons and things like that. And uh, But of course, what was a big draw for that one was, of course, the storytelling and the the tenseness of the game because of its uh, its horror-like elements that we've become accustomed to, you know, like in games like Dead Space. And, um, and so that's what made System Shock 2 very popular. And that's why I love... Uh, games that are made today and that kind of ilk are are use system shock one and two's references for making design decisions on those games so it's a really fascinating history because you know system shock didn't sell very well either one as a matter of fact after system shock two uh light um i'm sorry lighthouse <laughs> what was the name of the group again um looking glass looking glass, glass yeah. uh, technologies uh went kaput they, the last game they released was Thief 2, and uh, and then that was it. Then they closed their studio. There was another game that was in development, but it got finished up by another studio. I can't remember what kind of game. It was like some flight sim or something. And then that's it. They left that legacy. And then Cam Levine was uh, working with Irrational Games. And, of course, they started working on Bioshock, and they, then they sold themselves to 2K Games or Take-Two Interactive, which became 2K Games. And then they published Bioshock in, what, 2007, I think? Mm-hmm. And yeah, so. And that's that's where we come. That's where we get to Bioshock now, and um, so I, I don't know. I don't know how much of you guys, how much you guys knew about all this stuff, but I was just reading through it the last couple of days, and it's just a really fascinating history. Where, you know, the reason Bioshock exists wasn't because some guy, you know, came into the door and said, hey, "I have this great idea." It's it was a long thing in development, and and uh, usually I think when people see Ken Levine in Bioshock, they think he was the director of Bioshock, but really he was the creative director behind the game, so he was responsible for the story elements. I mean, I'm sure he had some um, something to say about gameplay elements, he had experience with that, but obviously he kept himself within his uh, his expertise, which was the story, and I think... Yeah, and you... Go ahead, go ahead, James. You can, you can see that in... Um in like uh system shock 2 where he you could tell he wanted to do more in that game and of course the limitations of the technology um and then of course he brought that over into bioshock um so like there's a lot of influences in that regard Mm -hmm. and there is a um i know there are some other issues where system shock 2 was originally not designed to be a sequel it was supposed to be its own standalone game and then there is some pressure from the uh, company in order to make it a sequel to the game i guess in order to continue building off of the world and the popularity of the original game and uh, and of course we see that all the time in, in businesses you know where i mean we're going to talk about it i'm sure with bioshock especially when we get to bioshock 2 because uh ken levine did not work on bioshock 2 that was a different uh production company oh and you can tell <laughs> right so 
Um, that's what I have for the history. I got nothing else to add. <laughs> There's Mike giving the thumbs up to Bioshock 2. <laughs> we're we're, we're going to get to that. And um, you guys ready to move on to these questions then? Yeah. Sure. All right. So, James, since you are the instigator of this podcast, my first question to you is, how is Bioshock different from other first-person shooters? Um, it it kind of brought in a lot of that horror element. Um you know, into into the gameplay, um, which you don't really have a whole lot of first-person shooters that, um, you know, in the same uh, genre, uh, the horror genre. So, you know, that, that you know, to me, that's a that's a big draw to the game. Um, having to experience um, the horror through like a first-person type uh, uh, type game. And how about you, Frank? Uh, for me, I think a lot of it was the art direction because, you know, you could see some of the steampunk uh, influence in it, you know, the retro futurism. Uh, I really love the, the creative design of Rapture and to a lesser extent Columbia. But, you know, the very first Bioshock, I mean, you know, I remember just the spectacle of it all, you know, starting even from the the very first uh, scene when you're stuck in the middle of the ocean, and you know it's just this gorgeous scenery, this flaming wreckage around you that you have to wade past. And I uh, I think from right then, it, to me it was like, wow, this is going to be more well immersive as an experience while playing as opposed to just run around, shoot bad guys, you know? And then also the story itself and the unexpected storytelling at times. Um, yeah. So for me, it's it's just, it was way more immersive than most other shooters I'd played up to that point. Because up to that point, what I had really played were a lot of 90 shooters, you know, like Doom, Wolfenstein, GoldenEye, Perfect Dark, you know, a lot of the real popular stuff that there is storytelling, but it's it was not as immersive as Bioshock had been up to that point. Uh, so for me, I'd say that just as it's a very deep experience as a, as an FPS. Mike, what are your thoughts? Well, first, I just want to say for sure, I, I do like the series. I think they, they're great games. I'm not saying they're bad games or terrible games. Or anything. Like, I understand what they are, and I know they have their mark in gaming history it's just personally myself i don't really enjoy playing them that's i don't know why but um i am impressed by what they've done and how it looks because just like frank when i i remember playing the demo on a xbox 360 and it was that plane crash thing and that was just visually for that time that was just amazing with the fire reflecting off the water and everything like that it just looked really great and that what made you want to keep going like it's like that demo is going to make sure i'm going to play this game for sure um, one of the things I think that's really brought to first-person shooters, though, was the what's the thing called again, where they take the drinks and then they get the abilities, the plasmids. Yes, I thought that was a pretty cool, unique thing they did for the FPS part of it, and um, how it was unique on certain characters or progress on really hard parts. You could like use the electricity on water, and it conducts it, and you know, kind of gets the whole area. So, like, just a new mechanic to kind of work your way through the game, which, which is really cool. That's what I thought. 
Uh, it, it's interesting that you guys all talk about those things. Like James brought up the the horror elements in the game, Frank, the way the world looks, and then Mike, the game mechanics. Because I, I think, and, and this goes back to what we talked about the introduction, that, that this game so much didn't introduce new concepts as it did is it took these concepts that were usually done in separate games and then combined them into one game that used them all and it did it very well i mean you look at obviously the system shock influence with the horror elements and then also the storytelling but then there are games like deus ex which uh were first person to design though they weren't exactly first person shooters that that do a lot of those uh uh elements in regards to uh, having different abilities now bioshock does it in a more minimalist style where you have the plasmids as opposed to having a you know a smorgasbord of of weapons and other devices that you can use in deus ex but you can see looking at bioshock that that game's influenced by that and it definitely took all those elements the the creative design the horror elements of the of dealing with the um uh what do you call the enemies in the game splicers splicers the splicers in the first one, uh, yeah, like dealing with those splicers is intense, especially early on, and then you run into the big daddies, and um, and of course those fights can be can be very intense, but they're they're also very cinematic, and uh, and uh, they they grab you and they keep you going through. So, yeah, definitely different for the time. It's kind of it kind of came in at the time uh, of video games where that stuff was really starting to happen. I mean, you have a game uh, we don't usually talk about it a lot, but like the the first Fear game. Uh, that was a strict horror first-person shooter, and though to me it isn't as good as Bioshock, it definitely has a lot of those elements that work for it, That particularly that first Fear game. And then, of course, games like that led to things like uh, Dead Space, where Dead Space has an incredible story, and it's definitely a, a def <laughs> an amazing horror game. And you can see all those elements in, in, those, in that game. But it kind of came at that time where we weren't seeing that kind of stuff before. It was new to us, and it took all those concepts from those original games in the past. That's it was like fear was like it had horror just like elements of a look sort of every now and then but bioshock it has the whole theme is based around like a horror environment mm-hmm. that you know because fear just had like you're going through an office building and you're you're shooting having shootouts with people and then there'd be like a scary creepy girl every so often you know but you know bioshock kind of put it where the the background the scenery the the lighting everything was just based to be like a horror style yeah. I'm not necessarily saying it's scary. Like I didn't think Bioshock was very creepy or scary, but it had that theme. I, I, I think this is where Frank's going to jump in and, and tell us why it's not horror. And I think he does. I think he is right. So go ahead, Frank. Okay. So the reason I think it's not really horror is because it's too sci-fi to be horror. Um, I think while well, Bobby and I have had, have had this conversation before, but just really quickly is that it's presented more as a mystery as opposed to mm-hmm. horror. And yeah, it's creepy, you know, it's got that unsettling atmosphere, but uh, like right away when the mystery, you know, the more you learn about it, it's, I don't know, I, I don't really consider it horror, but it does have horror elements. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, just, that, that, that's why I said the more of a horror element to it, Yeah. Uh, like rather than just saying that it is a, is a horror game. Um, but, but yeah, it actually, you know, it's uh, normally put on like horror game charts. Yeah, oh, they can see why, and and there's a lot of ambiance to um, you know to the backdrop as well. Um, if you you know just in idle, you can hear in the background, you know, water dripping in the background. The what is it, the bulkheads um, of you know this underwater city starting to creak uh, and fall apart. Um, 
very unsettling sounds of the splicers moving about uh, in the background. And that's just like sitting there at, at idle, um, which has like that element of uncertainty, um, especially if you're playing this with a headset, a really good headset. Yeah, and I think saying sci-fi is the right right way to describe it. I am using the word horror as if it's interchangeable, but really a horror game is very different <laughs> sci-fi than horror. sci-fi games. <laughs> well, no, then you have sci-fi horror because you can carry those elements in there, but yeah. it's, like, it's a Dead sci-fi Space game is, first. I mean, it's like, yes. That's, and because, you know, if, if you actually, you brought up Dead Space earlier, and if you compare the two, it's both that very, like, new environment there's a mystery to solve but whereas dead space definitely goes in the horror direction Mm -hmm. you can clearly see how uh the sci-fi influence uh you know kind of walks the bioshock story along right yeah among other things because that that game the story wise has so many elements going for it that are not just sci-fi i mean you have the whole uh and random objectivism thing (laughs) Which mm-hmm. goes which goes throughout the entire game and and then the element uh, of uh, oh, I'm sorry go ahead no I was gonna say and that's just the first one because right. I think the the second one has a little bit more to do with existentialism you know yeah yeah uh, and then the third one more about like anywhere from racial politics to um what's what I'm looking for classism I mean there, there's well, we can get to that, but yeah, there are so many, you know, underlying themes for all all three games. Yeah, and a lot of those, uh, you know, Ken Levine, obviously, you know, he's a you could tell he's a a reader of these works. Um, he puts a lot of that influence into it, social political um, commentary, commentary behind it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was just remembering something about Ken Levine because. Because the other thing that he wanted to do when he originally graduated from college, apparently he wanted to be a screenwriter, and he moved out to L.A. to write scripts for movies and things like that. And obviously it didn't pan out, which is why he started working for, um, why do I keep forgetting the name of this company? Looking Glass Studios. <laughs> Looking Glass. <laughs> and uh, I, was try- I got to look it up because I don't remember, but apparently like in like the early uh, 2010s, he wrote a script for oh for I guess they're trying to reboot Twi- Twilight Zone in the early 2010s, uh, separate from the one that was more recently done by um, uh, what's the comedian's name? Jordan Peele. Yeah, by Jordan Peele, and uh, and he wrote the pilot for it, and of course it didn't it, it didn't get picked up, but you know obviously the guy likes to cut his teeth on this type of stuff if he's trying to write something like for Twilight Zone, and uh, so it's not surprising that he does a lot of these themes. Uh, but again, we got to remember that Bioshock 2 was not his story. That was uh, someone else. And uh, no. it's Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite that are his. But in general, the the company that developed Bioshock 2 tried to, you know, create their own theme of uh, existentialism and uh, and run with it. And I don't know. I have not personally played Bioshock 2. I think you said, Frank, you haven't played it either. But I played, yeah, like the first, I don't know. I've played 20 it. 20 minutes, 30 minutes, like, and it just didn't didn't really hook me but might be you've played it as well with like james has yeah. right mm-hmm. so i played the, that's that's personally my favorite one that's the one i do enjoy sort of yeah so, and it, it, it has its elements to it um there's things that they improved on it a lot of most of it in gameplay um i feel like the story is a little more weaker um obviously because you know the guy who's 
you know, usually spearheading this wasn't involved in it. So um, I can see why people do like it. Um, it improved on the gameplay quite a bit. Um, it really did. Yeah. And that's one of the things I do enjoy about it. Um, the gameplay on it has been improved greatly. Um, you know, the Bioshock 1, the, you know, switching between weapon and plasmids, which they encouraged you to do, was very uh, jank. Um <laughs> little clunky hard to do, hard to wield and they improve that quite a bit in in bioshock 2 um it as far as ease of play it's better in two but weaker in story yeah i just remember it was cool that you could use electricity in the first one to like and then you shoot them and it's a fast way to kill them but it was also a pain to switch to that and switch back i yeah, thought it was it was um well like I I it, was, it was a little jank I think the intent was to make it more strategic. Yeah, yeah and it was the um, using the elements um uh, given the situation that you're currently in using stuff like um is the splicer in water you can use electricity yeah. is the spice splicer running across uh, an oil slick uh, you can use fire, fire. um just different ways to tackle each individual uh fight uh using the weapons and of course each weapon also had different ammo types uh, that you can switch in between. Um, so, you know, one ammo type is more effective against one enemy than the other. Which I thought was yeah. cool. It's just, it was just weird in the first one, that's all. So, obviously you guys still feel that Bioshock 2 is a good game. I know a lot of times when you look up stuff on the internet, a lot of people say, well, don't bother playing Bioshock 2 as if it's a horrible game. And, you know, from what the way you guys talk about it, it sounds like, even though it may be weaker story-wise compared to one, mechanically it's an improvement over one, and therefore it's still worth playing through. Yes, and it is. If you if you just want to play Bioshock One, uh, you get all of the story, everything associated with it. You really don't need to go into Bioshock Two for the story. Um, you can end it right there, at Bioshock One, and be fulfilled in in the story. Um, Bioshock 2 just kind of adds to the story a little bit, um, adds to the char- some of the characters that are in there, um, expands the characters a little bit more. Um, and these are like NPCs that you run into in Bioshock 1. So not really necessary as far as story-wise to play, but I do suggest people play it. Um, just, uh, you know, if they enjoyed Bioshock 1 and its gameplay, gameplay has improved quite a bit in the second one. That's good to know, because I haven't played Bioshock 2, not because I've been purposely avoiding it, but just because, you know, I heard it wasn't as good, and it's just like, well, it was never really on my list of things to do, but hearing you guys talk about it, I maybe I should go back and try it. I, I it, didn't it's, it it worth a try. This perspective was cool, because you play as a, a big daddy in that one, and then you have your own, uh, what is it, little sister, what are they called again? Yeah, little sisters. Yeah, little yeah. sisters. You have your own little sister that he's, you know, it's very simple, but that's true. That's probably why people, story-wise... It's very simplistic on its storyline because you're just some big monster protecting a little girl that, you know? So, I mean, but I thought it was pretty cool to see it from that side of the view of, like, the storyline or the Bioshock world. Uh, you're, you're playing as, like, the first big daddy, the, the first, um, I don't want to say, like, being that they helped create to do this. So you're a little more sentient than the other ones. Um, so... Again, it adds it adds more to the story of what these things are, who they are, and who are the characters 
that are in this world? What are their motive, uh, motivations? And that it, it, it tells a story through that perspective. Okay. So then let me ask you guys this. Um, have the first Bioshock game that you played, was it the original Bioshock? Yes. yes. The first one. Frank, you too. What was that question? One more that time. The first Bioshock you game game that you played was the original. Yeah, that was the first one. Okay, I played. so all of us have experienced Bioshock from the very first game. Okay, yeah. so this leads into our our next question then, which is, what was the defining moment for you in Bioshock? And I'm thinking since we all started with that first Bioshock, there's something that happened in that original Bioshock game that caused us to want to continue playing it and also continue the rest of the games in the series. So Mike, starting with you, what was that defining moment? Uh, it would be the exact moment Frank said earlier that plane crash is just, it was just one of those things that draws you in. Mm -hmm. um, it was, you didn't really have much of gameplay, but just from the scenery and the, of the plane crash and how it looked, it was, you're, you had to go on to this adventure and be like, where is this going to go now? And just that whole opening scene was really well done. Just once you get to the, the tower, uh, the lighthouse tower, the ocean, uh, the elevator, like just how it's how the intro is to that very first game is a drawing point. <clears throat> and then it just keeps adding more and more because then you meet a big daddy, you meet all these like characters that they're all really awesome, you know? So it just draws you in. But uh, yeah, that's, that's mainly it. Just the opening scene. So like probably the first 30 minutes of the game. How about you, James? Uh, you know what? I have to agree that, that that beginning is what draws you in the most. Um, you know, there's there's a mystery behind it. There's something that you want to solve. You know, what is this place? How did it get this way? Um, and you kind of feel like um, you're the hero because this guy is asking you to, for help, help save my family. Um, and he's asking you for help because you're not affected by a lot of what's going on here. Uh, so you have more of an avenue to discover uh, what's going on um, and kind of peel back the layers of, uh, of the story and this mystery of um, what happened to this utopia. And that just kind of draws you in. Uh, I, I think we're far enough along where we don't have to worry about hiding spoilers. So... <laughs> I mean, yeah. it is it is what uh you know, over a ten year old game now. But uh, you know, you you come to find out that the person who's asking for help is not doesn't have the best intentions for you, right? What what so is now, the, like, that coming a mile away though? What is That's the pseudonym that he uses? Atlas. 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 Thank you. Atlas, right. which comes from you know the, the influence Atlas shrugged. Ayn right. Rand references there. Yeah. The selfish garbage novel that is atlas shrugged yeah yeah we'll, we'll get to the philosophy in a little bit <laughs> yeah but yeah that that kind of stuff kind of pulls you in uh wanting to uh solve this you know mystery of what's going on here and it part of it too is also the the atmosphere that they um you know that they build the world building around it too uh is very uh, it kind of pulls you in was unique too because it also had the what they're called again splicers splicers yeah. yeah splicers yeah so when when you start getting further into the game and we're cool about talking about spoilers since the game's so old right yeah like i said oh yeah we're good cool so program. when you start figuring out it's everyone going crazy over using that stuff it gets to the point where you're you're trying to i guess fix what's going on in the world or you, mainly i guess you're trying to escape somehow but 
you have to resolve problems that are there with them. And it's also weird because a lot of them are going crazy and stuff like that. So it makes it feel like, okay, they're just crazy. It's kind of, they're kind of victims in a way, sort of, even though they're attacking you and they're the bad guys that you got to destroy or kill. But I mean, they're victims of the uh, overall philosophy that yeah. uh, the world uh, has built in the, in yeah. around them. You know what I mean? But that, they were exposed to all of that stuff. And that also like made them go insane too, you know? Oh, yeah, I disagree, all, but all. we can talk about that during the yeah. last. I think when we get to <laughs> yeah. philosophy, because I, I have some things to say about that too. But yeah, because like... you're, you're you're digging more into the philosophy behind <laughs> the story. All right, Frank, what was your defining moment? Uh, so, funnily enough, uh, the first game was kind of ruined for me by James, which is not entirely his fault. <laughs> but we were talking about it because I had started playing it, and then he brought up the spo- the you know the plot twist, the spoiler, and I was like. Oh, and I don't know if you remember James, but I was like, eh, it's not a big deal. Like, I didn't really care about spoilers. Um, but so the first game kind of lost a lot of its mystery to me, but it was still a great experience. So for me, I'd say the defining moment is actually in the DLC for Infinite, where you play as Elizabeth and it connects back to the first game. And to me, I was like, did you ever you, did you ever play it? Yeah, you never did, right? It was uh, Lost at Sea, right? Is that, is that the Buried at Sea? Buried at Sea. It wasn't black and white. It was still in color. Okay. I I think like parts were, but okay. well, I think when it started out, it was in black and white, and then it went into the color mode. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I never heard that. For so me, it was kind of like a noir type, right? Yes. Yes. So I'd say for me, it was just the you know the full circle telling of the story that was more the defining moment because you know with the first one and third one being headed by you know ken levine and there was obviously like a vision that he had uh just the way that it was connected i really really like it's it's there's a lot of opinions about how it's overrated it's you know a lot of people have issues with it but for me i really enjoyed that experience i really enjoyed what was told for the story so just the revelation that, you know, you see the future in the past. And I thought that was really cool. All right. So, so to elaborate, first of all, what, what is it that are people are saying is overrated, the DLC or the Bioshock Infinite itself? I think, well, both Infinite and even the DLC, like the, the story itself. Um, I mean, it, it seemed like to have gotten a, a mixed, mixed review. And I think also because... They were originally planning on releasing a third chapter for Burial mm-hmm. at Sea, but they ended up scrapping it because right after that came out, I think the studio closed. If I'm not irrational, games closed. I think shortly yeah, after the deal. Yeah, because uh, Ken Levine left left the studio. He was closing it out. Like technically, it's not closed. It was he left the studio, and then uh, there are some people remaining. And then a few years ago, they this they renamed the studio. I can't remember what they renamed it to. But now they're working on more um, like novelized games, or I can't remember the term that they used. But anyway, so yeah, that never that last part never got released, so we probably won't see the final vision that he had for the overall story. Yeah, but I I really liked Infinite despite its flaws. So it was yeah, like the tail end of the series was the defining moment for me. 
Okay. So it wasn't so much the original Bioshock that, that sold you. It was really the way they closed out with Infinite that sold you. I'd say, well, just for me, I'd appreciate it. Because, I mean, well, we can get to favorite game in a little bit. But, yeah, yeah I just, just that full circle storytelling. That's that what that's what made the defining moment for me for the series. Okay. I know for me with the original Bioshock, the moment that sold me was um I, I'm with you guys on the intro, but it wasn't the waking up in, in the ocean with fire around me. It was the bathosphere opening up to rapture. Because when you get into the bathosphere, you're just going down this tube and then all of a sudden you see rapture. You see cities under you see you know skyscrapers underwater but then you know the the ocean like they made an excellent job in the in this in the cinematography of of making sure that you could see that it was a living breathing world where you would see uh sea life you know a whale swam by the bathosphere at one point at another point you see a big daddy walking around outside doing some repairs uh in some cases as you get closer to your entrance you can see some of the damage that's been done uh, in the last uh, few weeks in Rapture. And uh, it, it's like, at first it, it introduces you to this world that's beautiful and amazing, but you can see the 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 garbage underneath that's seeping through that that's causing all the, that's going to lead to the chaos that you're going to experience. So it's kind of like, it, it kind of lulls you into a sense of uh, calm before thrusting you into this, you know, this torrid, damaged world. And uh, so that that's that's pretty much what sold me when I when I got through that I played through Bioshock in, in a couple days just because I was so sold on it from the very beginning, and uh, that's why I'm I'm with Frank on on the DLC the Buried at Sea because uh, when it revisits that world as much as I like Bioshock Infinite I do feel that Rapture is is the more defined of those worlds and seeing them combine the concepts that they came up with. Uh, with infinite and then bringing it back to rapture to bring it full circle was was definitely fascinating as well but that's what sold me on that one yeah it looked really cool because it's like uh it looked really beautiful but when you're looking at all the fine details like you were saying like the the rust or um barnacles all over the place and there's like this place is really fucked up <laughs> like you know it looks it looks pretty visually it looks beautiful but you're like oh yeah you're, you're gonna go into a shit storm right you know well, it's more because of the damage and everything like that. I yeah. mean, that that's I think more to just show all the all the setup. Yeah, the, you know what to expect when you get there. Yeah, and that'd be another drawing point. Yeah, so that's pretty good. And those water effects for the time were amazing too. You know, they still kind of hold up. up. Well, and I think that goes back to what Frank said earlier about the uh, the art style that going with that. I don't even know what you would call that art style, but the the designs of the characters, the it, it it stands up. You know, graphically, it may not be the most impressive game that we've seen, but artistically, it, it still holds up very well. It's a very well designed, well thought out world as far as a creative. Yeah, design. it's like a like a noir. Um, it's like a mix between like steampunk noir. Um, what is it like? 20s type 20s era well yeah it's i don't know how to even describe it it's roaring 20s roaring 20s noir steampunk retro (laughs) futurism retro futurism that's that's one of the reasons i don't enjoy playing that game 
I don't like that theme of like 30s. And then there's like a radio playing like like old ass fucking music and shit. It's not my thing. It's because I don't like like just that thing never draws my attention. No, so, and that that makes sense. I mean, because there are certain games that are like really well done, but just thematically or you know visually, they just really turn me off. So I can totally understand why it didn't really appeal to you as much. And and I think I don't know if Bioshock started that or anything like that, but like Fallout, it's the, it's been like a running theme with games that they do a lot of, where it just has that 1930s or 40s music or old-fashioned style, or that's when when previously it took place beforehand till the present and you know the evolution. Yeah, Fallout kind of follows that same kind of uh, yeah. overall aesthetic, retro futuristic. Retro, retro futuristic. There yeah. we go. That's what I was trying to say. So I'm not really into that too much. It really kind of just I don't enjoy it. Yeah, well, like Frank said, I mean, I can understand that. So we come to the big questions. This is probably going to be the the most controversial question because it'll probably bring up the biggest amount of discussion. But what do you think is the philosophy of Bioshock? And keep in mind that Frank and I have not played Bioshock 2. We only know about it from, uh, uh, from you know, watching gameplay footage or from discussion of others. Um, so I think James and Mike will be better able to discuss the philosophy of Bioshock 2. But we can definitely speak towards Bioshock 1. And uh, Frank, I'm going to let you lead us off on this one. Philosophy of the Bioshock series. Well, to me, uh, the first one, you do see a lot of the, you know, Ayn Rand influence, obviously, even, you know, anywhere from the names to the, the principles and the philosophies uh, that Rapture is founded on are founded on from Andrew Ryan and uh, he really does a good job of illustrating how kind of impractical objectivism is because, you know, he, Andrew Ryan in the world of Bioshock, he created Rapture, which is supposed to be, you know, the ultimate utopia and everything like that. And it's in ruins because of everybody's selfishness and greed and lust for power and everything like that, which, you know, just it's, it's a testament to why objectivism is not, and not even uh, ideal or practical, but also why it's detrimental to any society. So for me that I'd say that's the philosophy of the first one, just to, you know, just, it's a critique a very harsh critique <laughs> in a sci-fi setting of objectivism. The second one, I can't really speak much to, you know, I, you know, with the idea of the big daddy and the choices you have to make, I, I'm not really sure. I haven't experienced that enough. And then with the third one being very politically charged, especially, you know, it's uh, with the post-Civil War integration of, you know, of, societies you know north and south and everything like that and you see it spill over into Colombia and the racism i don't know i mean it's it's very critical of a very self-driven selfish motivations in society i think that's kind of like the the overlying philosophy for one and infinite in my opinion 
James, what's your take? Um, you know, very similar to what Frank said. It, you know, basically, you know, Bioshock One is uh, uh, libertarians under the sea here. Uh, the idea, it's that philosophical question: Are we equal, or should we be all equal? Um, you have this utopia that believes that um, you know everybody will prosper if they just do what they're supposed to do. Um, unchecked capitalism. Um, those are the kinds of things that we think of as like a utopia where everybody you know lives together in harmony. But that's not the case. That never that never really happens um, in real life. And that and this just kind of that social uh, commentary about that. Um, uh, I think is the main theme of of the first Bioshock, where you know you have this society that says that everybody here is on equal plane, but we don't have any checks and balances to stop people from you know doing experiments on other human beings. Um, uh, unchecked capitalism. Really, really quick question though. You're yeah, saying that they're talking about people being on equal fields. Andrew Ryan was not about that at all. Right. The whole point, like it was the opposite. He's all yeah, like him, him himself. Yes, because he's the leader of that place, and of course, that's not. You know, the leader's not going to be. He's going to want everybody else to think that way, not, you know, not him himself. But you know no, I mean? well, for their society, he was saying that our society is better than the surface world. So he wasn't really proposing that we were equal or that you know everybody did their part. It was we get all the benefits. And everybody else can stay up there in the surface world and suffer and die and be miserable. Yeah, and that's that's you know that's why uh, you know he pulled away from that. He um, he wanted everybody to you know have like these the utopia where everybody does what they're what they uh, whatever they're driven for, right? Oh yeah, um, yeah. That, yeah, yeah. That. He wants everybody to everybody to strive and have these unchecked because he believes that um, you know if you have too many checks and balances for these kinds of things, it holds a lot of people back, right? And that's why you have the things, the horrible things that they were doing, like human experiments, um, people making you know um, making money on the backs of other other people, that kind of thing. And so, uh, in the in the first Bioshock, that you know, that's very prevalent in in the backstory of how this place. And it, it just kind of shows that, you know, we really can't uh, achieve a a true utopia. Well, not like that. Not like that. Well, I mean, like I said, it, it, it's like that libertarian type uh, <laughs> philosophy. But the thing is, is that you can't keep other people from doing bad things because of their own motivations, their own selfish motivations. Uh, sometimes you have to keep things in check, and they kind of failed to do that. And as far as uh, Bioshock Infinite goes, um, that one, you know, that's, again, it, it starts out as a utopia, right? Um, where everybody, you, you have this, you know, beautiful world in the sky, and everybody's, you know, looks like everybody's happy, and everybody's getting everything that they need, but there's like this you know, CD under, you know, underground thing happening in the background where people are being exploited. Well, what happens when you exploit people? Well, some people are going to rebel. And, 
you have all these basically white people, uh, rich white people enjoying the fruits and labors of these uh, minorities that they brought on specifically for doing work. Um, of course, if you're going to mistreat them, what's going to end up happening? They're going to get together and they're going to they're going to fight back, you know. And that's what happens in in Bioshock Infinite. What about Bioshock Two? Uh, you know, it, it, for me, that one's harder to pinpoint exactly, only because, like I said, the story isn't written as well. I can see where they're trying to get like this kind of like this nihilist type. Um, philosophy going on but it doesn't do it well enough for me to really pinpoint exactly what's going on uh, if anybody can jump in on that one a little bit more but um because the storytelling isn't as good it's harder for me to you know to pinpoint what exactly the philosophy is on that one it probably Other really than, isn't it was more just like an expansion sort of in a yeah. way of like just the story of like what a, the big daddy thing part and that's pretty much it I didn't think and, they didn't you know, it, in depth on that. And, and of course, it goes into the little sisters and how they're yeah. created. Again, it's all about that unchecked, you know, human, you're experimenting on human beings, creating these little sisters, creating these big daddies. And for what? They're basically slaves to, um, you know, to the society, right? Well, and let's, let's um, elaborate a little bit here just so there's clarity for anyone who may not remember Bioshock. So, the purpose of the little sisters is to generate atom, right? And yes. atom is the is the chemical used to create the um, plasmids, um, the plasmids, plasmids, right, for the splicers. Yeah. And then the big daddies were created to protect the little sisters, right? Not only that, but they were also created as uh, workers. So they did things like repairs on the outside because they didn't. Obviously, these people they don't want to have to go out into you know, the crushing depths of the ocean to go right. do work. That's not what these people are for, right? So they're going to create somebody or something to do that for them, right? Um, and they're just kind of like a means to an end. They maintain the entire uh, facilities. And so they're basically slaves. They don't, uh, that's the whole purpose of them. Uh, and they're they're genetically altered in some way, and they're um, they have no they have no rights. Um, they um, again these like little robots. were created, yeah, basically kind of like robots, sort of. But you know they're uh, they're organic beings, um, and you kind of see that in two where you're the original Big Daddy, so you're a little more sentient than the most of them, right? And you have a motivation. And so you kind of see that, um, you know, you have these these people. They want to live their lives, but they don't want to do all the hard work. They they just want to reap all the benefits. So they do human experiments, genetic alter uh, uh, genetically altering um, uh, people, and creating these uh, kind of like slaves. Yeah, like you said, with their slaves. Um, the big daddies were protecting the the little sisters, and that's what just what they do. So with him saying it's the one that's more sentient in part two, there's more instead of just I have to protect her because that's just what I'm programmed to do or that's just how I am. There's actually more of an actual attachment that he has to his little sister. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and it, it kind of shows that. And, and it's more, you know, they, they specifically designed them that way to have attachments to the little sisters. Okay. And Mike, what about you? Or what was the question again? Just the philosophy of Bioshock. 
Uh, I can't do for each game. I'm just thinking overall, just what I've taken from all three games is if as a nation, if you can't seclude yourself from the rest of the world and it's just not going to work out well. I mean, that's just, I, that's just what I took from it is just every situation or what's the infinite in the sky or a rapture in the ocean, uh, just secluding themselves from the rest of the world is probably not really a good idea. <laughs> and it, it didn't work out well for them. Well, and the only reason, like, because when you get to Columbia and Infinite, the society from, I mean, appearances, like James was saying, it looks like a perfect society. Everybody's yeah. happy. But the issue is, is that the only reason that it, it appears that everybody's happy is because the people who are out enjoying life are, well, they're all white people. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, uh, and you do really quickly, you know, you go further on to see that there are the exploited, you know, minorities and, uh, and you know, with the rebellion and everything like that. Uh, see, you know, they, I'm sorry. And they brought the minorities there with them to do the hard work that they didn't want to do. Yeah. You know, going back to that whole slavery thing, what's the reason why we had slavery? Well, just, you know, they having somebody you feel is less than you to do the hard work that you don't want to do. So I'm thinking again, not having played Bioshock two. So there's an overall theme with these games. So if you look at them, um, okay. The original Bioshock takes place in the sixties, but they're living life in the hmm. roaring twenties. Fifties. No, it takes place no, in nineteen sixty. It takes place in nineteen sixty something. I thought it was no, nineteen sixty. Is it nineteen sixty um, exactly? No, the um, the fall of Rapture happened New Year's nineteen fifty nine. Okay. Okay. So nineteen sixty, and um, but the way they live life is through the Roaring Twenties, right? Yeah. And so we're talking about a lifestyle from about forty years ago. Then you yeah, look with at shit music playing on the radio. <laughs> and then you look at Bioshock Infinite and it takes place in the 1910s, I think like 1913 yes. or something like that. And um but they're living a lifestyle that's really pre-civil war. Yeah. And so we're talking about two societies in which they're trying to recapture what they felt was the ideal lifestyle. That um yeah. very the much Antebellum South. Right. Both of those themes run very much concurrent with the theme we see today in our country. Uh, for those of you who are not don't know where we're at, we live in the United States of America, and uh, I, I know all all of us in here in this in this chat uh, can very comfortably say that we are not in support of the people who are currently in charge of our uh, government. And some of the big influences is, I mean, uh, Donald Trump's running theme when he ran for president was "Make America Great Again," uh, referring to a time in America. That was supposedly perfect. Oftentimes, people think of the 1950s as that because people have created several types of uh, of uh, propaganda showing, oh, you know, let's let's go back to a more simple time. When in reality, in the 1950s, yeah, things were great for a certain group of people in the 1950s, and yes, we'll say white people uh, because that's Probably what it was. Probably not good for me. <laughs> but they weren't good for people of minority. Remember Chewbacca again? Oh, I love to remember Chewbacca. <laughs> Hey, hey, remember when there weren't so many Mexicans? Oh, I remember. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, remember when marriage was just between a man and a woman? I remember. Oh, I remember. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I remember that. Wait. Remember feeling safe? Remember no ice? Remember Reagan? Oh, I remember. What the fuck's going on with these member berries? Um, <laughs> where, where Bioshock Infinite and the original Bioshock differ is Bioshock Infinite, yes, those people bring up minorities so they can take advantage of those groups, right? They, um, 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 what's the word? They extort, they extort those individuals to do the work that they don't want to do. While in Bioshock, because they're objective and they're allowed to run rampant and pretty much do whatever they feel like doing, they create a subgroup of people in order to do the work for them or in order to help them live the life that they want without having to do the heavy lifting in the long run. And But the concepts are the same. They want to have someone underneath them to do the hard work because in a real society, you cannot have uh, a group of people where everyone is essentially the same because not everybody wants to do the same work. There's always gonna be somebody who wants more than someone else and they're gonna be willing to step on someone else to do it. I mean, that's what brought down Rapture, right? And the main villain was Frank Fontaine and he created the, the Atlas character in order to, well, actually the, the, the main story, right? He actually, what was it? He brainwashed your character in order to, in order to do the things that you needed to do in the game, right? Is yeah, that yeah. what it is? And um, and so he's using you. And there's another example of where you have someone taking advantage of their own selfishness or selfishness in order to use other people to get their dirty work done. And uh, and ultimately, I think that's what all, both these games are saying. Now, in Rapture, the people felt that they were justified to do what they did because they were believed in fulfilling their own self needs and to tell with everyone else. While in Bioshock Infinite those people used divinity in order to justify their right to be above others. And I think that's where you have the two differing philosophies where the people you, the, the reasoning that people use in order to be in charge. But ultimately you still have the same concept about, well, I want to be the one who's in charge and I can justify it using this methodology. And that's where we run into the similarities between the two games. Yeah. And uh, kind of a, add on to that is especially with like the splicing and everything like that <clears throat> i mean as a, for science fiction you know uh body modifications and everything like that it's a very common theme mm -hmm. but the way it's you know uh regarded in bioshock is also to show how they're better than everybody else they're better than humanity because you know they're gifted and you know they acquire these gifts for their own selfish needs. They're upgraded. Yeah, and that's their whole goal using these plasmids is to be stronger and better than most. And they got addicted to it, and obviously it it deformed them um, to the point of becoming almost subhuman now. <laughs> yeah, and this is where yeah. we come back to where Mike was talking about where these splicers were like the victims of the world, but really they were the victims of their own <clears throat> selfishness. Yes. But I think it's yeah. also that, that promise of whatever was promised or that the, the utopia thing was a lie basically in a way, not really a lie or it just didn't work sort of in a way. Yeah. But I mean, think about it like this. 
They are all assholes probably too, but yeah, I'm just saying. Well, I mean, think about it like this though, Mike, is that, you know, Donald Trump is taking advantage of these people's naivete these days the same way Andrew Ryan and uh, Comstock, you know, is taking advantage of their own selfishness, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, the, you know, the service dwellers, they're fucked because they're not in rapture with us who are better than them, you know? We're up here in the clouds in Colombia because we're better than the people down below. And when you have that mentality, you're not a victim. As a matter of fact, you are victimizing others for your own selfish needs. So that's where I disagree that they become victims. It's like they're not victims. They're willing participants in their own, you know. Yes. I'm trying to think of the word. Uh, You reap what you sow. Yes. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's, I really like that you brought up the social commentary as far as what's going on in society today, because what's going on in society today, it's not new. It's not fresh. It's just a different flavor of the same issues that we've had with this country since it first was formed, yeah, you know? And we're obviously, we're not the only country because we hear about other countries around the world where you have a dictator who then you know, manipulates the people and puts people in place in order to make the world comfortable for him and his cronies. Uh, and, and then to hell with everyone else in society, as long as they're comfortable. And that's where, again, that's where you come back to the issue with objectivism. I mean, objectivism would work if everyone did things to benefit themselves without causing harm to others. But, but m- most people don't do that. It's, it's pretty much impossible to do everything for yourself without harming others because... And this is going to be a little bit of a rant, <laughs> but us living in the first world, um, we live very comfortable lives. Yeah. I mean, we we can play video games. You know, we have access to food, water, electricity, internet. You know, uh, spending money. You know, be pretty much enjoying our lives. But we are privileged in the sense that because we have privilege, we are inadvertently exploiting third world countries that we benefit from. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you can see like some of us are probably wearing clothing or using a device right now that some poor person was making pennies a day trying to put together um, and hating their job. But that was the only thing that they had to feed their family. You know what I mean? Um, Don't you dare insult Mike Jordans. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, we're all sitting in front of devices right now. We probably have them on our heads or talking into them right now that some, you know, probably poor, probably maybe even a child that put this thing together, you know, and we're kind of enjoying, you know, what we have right now, but it was on the back of somebody else, unfortunately. But that's the thing. Is it even possible to fix that? Uh, Is that just how... And that's, that's the philosophical it's, question of Bioshock, you know? Is it possible to fix that? Um, it looks like not, you know? Yeah. Well, U- think- utopias, you know, people talk about, you know, libertarianism or, um, you know, utopias where, you know, I'll just let the free market work itself out. Here's the thing. Those things need to have checks and balances because if I can't stop my neighbor's dog from shitting in my yard and him taking responsibility for it, how am I going to stop him from doing other things that harm me in some way? You know what I mean? 
that's why those laws, those checks, and those balances need to be need to exist. So yeah, to close this out on philosophy, because <laughs> otherwise we're going to be here all. all the, I mean, honestly, <laughs> honestly, this we turned into a political rant. <laughs> I mean, we really, we really could have just done an entire episode just on the philosophy of Bioshock. Um, yeah, but to close it out, I, I just think. Um, do I think we could live in a society where everyone could live comfortably and get what they deserve so they don't have to worry about surviving? Yes. But the issue is, is there's still too many people with power who only want to fulfill their own needs or really their own wants and to hell with those below them. And until we can create that type of society. But to be honest, that's the optimism in me. I'm all, I've always been an optimistic. I do feel that throughout the history of humanity, we have gotten better on getting these people. That's why we have the societies we have today. Because I mean, if you compare society to what society was like 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 1000 years ago, you know, there have been improvements. But whether yeah. we'll ever reach that pinnacle is something else entirely. And then we have this thing like this pandemic, which then can set us back steps because it depends on how we respond. So, I mean, part of it has to do with, you know, a lot of people argue, oh, well, you have people who are really intelligent and really intelligent people are more selfish. And realistically, as humans get more intelligent overall, we actually become less selfish. But funnily enough, I just wanted to segue really quick. I just watched a video about the, the problem with Rick and Morty and the way that Dan Harmon frames it because uh, so there's this guy, he's called Renegade Cut and he does, you know, analysis of popular culture. And he talks about how the way Dan Harmon presents intelligence is that, yeah, uh, if you're cruel, you know, it equates to intelligence because that's the way it's presented for the Rick character. You know, he explains why, you know, being sensitive to others and being emotional is a weakness and, you know, and like Bobby was saying, is that intelligence does not equate to cruelty. As a matter of fact, it's uh, cruelty is completely uh, a lack of empathy. It's, it's, you know, psychopathy. It's, it's more of the way your mind thinks as opposed to how smart you are and what you know. Yeah, and so I know a lot of people interpret Rick as being that way because of his intelligence i disagree with that statement having watched rick and morty where there's more to something that happened to rick that caused him to be the way he is it's not because of his intelligence but part of his intelligence and the way he sees the world is what leads to who he is and it's not the intelligence itself but you know that <laughs> that's just that's that's way off topic now as far as going on to another uh thing but i'm glad you just i'm glad you brought that up i just think it's the way people interpret things because often, I mean, if you look at movies and TV shows, usually we, we interpret highly intelligent people as cool. I mean, look at house house was such a popular show, uh, because he's a super intelligent doctor, but he was an asshole and the full house, <laughs> full house too. everyone on full house was an asshole, but they were all stupid. <laughs> and, uh, and he was, you know, he was always portrayed as an asshole, but realistically he wasn't an asshole because he's intelligent. He was an asshole because of the life that he lived and his experiences that made him the person that he is. And that's what mm. leads to people's cruelty. It's their experiences of what they are. And so when you have people who have lived a life of luxury, who have always been told that people under them stay under them, they're going to want to create a world that's just like that because it's the world that they know. 
and they use their intelligence to justify their assholiness. Right. <laughs> so I, I think we're good there. <laughs> yeah. Before we're going for too much longer. So moving on to our next question. Uh, Mike, this one's going to be for you. So I want you to go first. What is one thing you would change about the series or uh, just in one specific game? Uh, the series, uh, just the whole 1930s kind of style thing. It's, But, I mean, I can't ask them to change that because that's literally the theme of the, the game. So, I mean, that's just something I disliked about it. And um, I honestly didn't think the story progressions, like the storytelling of revealing stuff was amazing to me. Um, I knew the guy was going to double-cross me like 30, 20 minutes into the first first game i was like oh this guy's a bad guy (laughs) why how did did you know that i just knew it's just one of those things the way the story was like how it was being presented was it was kind of like obvious it's kind of like when you watch so many horror movies you kind of know how the story is going to progress you're like ah well this is going to fucking happen well this is going to fucking so and same thing with infinite i think around like the third mission with with elizabeth with you i was like you're her fucking dad I was like, I fucking knew right away. I was like, they're going to try to spend that later. And at the end, it's like, yeah, that's fucking you. And plus, you're the fucking bad guy. Like, I've, I've just figured out the, not, I, I at least figured out the twist, not like the expanded storyline. But at least the major twist parts were not a surprise to me. But the expanding storyline of learning the universe, that was still really good. But, oh, and plus, uh, I think the, the hook stuff was just too gimmicky for Infinite. I thought it was kind of oh, useless and pointless. The, the grapple hook thing. Skyhook. Yeah, Skyhook. Uh, I, I didn't think it was needed. I thought it was pointless. I mean, it looked cool when they did the trailers. Like, oh, that looks badass. But when yeah. I was actually playing the game, I was like, eh. I just kind of, like, shoot my way, kill everybody. And then when I need to traverse to the next place, well, I'll just traverse. And then something I was reading about, this is a couple years ago when I was reading a retrospective. They were talking about how in the trailer, all the Skyhook stuff was done, of course, in the trailer. But they never were able to reach that kind of complexity with the skyhook system because just of, you know, the, the, they couldn't yeah. do it, and so no, that's so why jumping around, right. shooting, using your abilities while you're doing it, yeah, yeah, and so that's something that that could they couldn't ever reach. And I mean that we see that in games all the time where we see a trailer and then uh, everyone's like, oh, that's incredible, and then it, they never fulfill it. You know, that's just the limitations, unfortunately. But so those it's minor things that I think or would change. I mean. So, Maybe the plot twist, people like them, but you know. So the big thing me. for you though is the theme. The theme is what what yeah. turns you yeah. off from the game. I I, yeah. I can understand that. How about you, Frank? Uh, so I watched a video on YouTube that actually talked about the troubled development of Bioshock Infinite. You know, remember it was delayed a whole bunch of times. Yeah. Um. So there was supposed to be, of course, like a morality system, and uh. A lot more, I think, character depth and everything like that. And for me, I think that's what I would have brought back. That that's what I would bring back because the concepts were really cool. The you know the complexity with the the skyhook combat and everything like that. There's a lot that was left on the cutting room fl- floor just to get the game out. And you can see hints uh, and also like kind of the le- the leftover afterthoughts for the morality system. I mean, literally when you go to the carnival area. Like, you can choose to steal money, but there's no real consequence for it. But, I mean, obviously, that was that was meant to play into the morality system. And 
that I think would have been interesting. Um, giving the characters more depth because uh, Infinite's really fun to play, but you know, going back and playing it again, it's a very shallow experience compared to the first one. And I, I you know, that it's that's that's a problem with with you know being a triple A game developer is that you have deadlines you got to meet, you got to push the stuff out so that you can make the sales and blah 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 blah. And I just wish they had taken more time with Infinite to give us more of what we were not even really promised. I guess more of what we were expecting. You know what I mean? Um, the DLCs I did really like. I thought those were fun. Those were cool additions to expanding the lore and the story. But I would have liked to have seen the third chapter to the burial at sea. Um, Bioshock 2, honestly, I'll just have to go back and play it because I do need to give that, that game the time of day. It is part of the trilogy, and I know I know it's not a bad game. It just It just didn't really grab my focus, so... If they could just remake that game, that'd be nice. <laughs> remake it. That's what I'd change. <laughs> How about you, James? So uh, Frank kind of hit the nail on the head exactly what I was thinking about Bioshock Infinite. Um, it's It was a complete game, but I felt like there's a lot missing out of it. Um, there's some incomplete parts. Uh, there's obviously some choices that you can make in the game that have no effect whatsoever on any of the outcomes. Oh yeah, um, like really quick, the when you choose Elizabeth's little choker thing. Yeah, you know, that's what I was going to mention. Yeah, oh, the the, the bird in that, the cage. So sorry. real quick, real quick, that was yeah. the exact moment I knew that he was the father. It was that scene. <laughs> yeah. Why? Why that scene? Really quick. I don't know because I think she asks him asks him which one she should choose. Right or which one to pick? I mean, he it... he gives like a typical guy response, like oh, I don't know, yeah, man. There was, there was something about it, and I was like, bro, is that her dad? <laughs> but um, you know, the choice with the you know the little uh, pendant with with the birdcage or um, the bird, and to me, I felt like, okay, do I want her to be like? Um, I felt like. First, playing at first, like I'm making a choice here. Do I want her? I, I saw the the bird as being like free as a bird or bound in a cage, right? And I felt like, well, if I pick one or the other, what effect is it going to have? And no real consequence ever came of that. Uh, maybe Frank can put some more light on that. You were going to say something about it. No, yeah, I just, uh, I forgot. I'm so sorry. I haven't watched it in a while. Uh, but it was, there was something that was supposed to lead, like a scene that's supposed to lead from that, you know, whether whatever choice you make. But literally, there's no difference. Yeah, there's no difference in it. Uh, there's another scene where, um, you know, you're about to be ambushed, but you don't really know it. But there's kind of hints that you're going to be ambushed. Um, he's like ringing the bell to get service. And the guy's on the phone, like, hey, what do you want me to do with this, you know? And you have a choice of pulling out your weapon and shooting the guy or continuing to pressure the guy, right? Um, if you choose to pull your weapon out, you shoot the guy in the face and it freaks Elizabeth out and she doesn't like it. If you choose to try to talk to him, he stabs you in the hand, right? 
Uh, and of course, later on, Elizabeth is, if you choose to shoot the guy, Elizabeth's really disgusted by it. Like, you know, you shot that person. And I think regardless of whether or not. Um, she's disgusted either way. So. Either way, she's disgusted. But I felt like that was going to be like a morality choice, right? Um, she's going so to react to the way. Consequence at all then? Yeah, she's going to react to the way I handle certain situations, right? But either way, it doesn't matter. The only difference here is that either you have a bandage over your hand or you don't throughout the rest of the game. So there's not a, it doesn't, there's no consequence. And I felt like there, there was, you know, a path for that. There was framework for it, but they never completed it. And that's what I'm kind of disappointed about it. That morality system. And Frank pretty much like a missed opportunity for it. It's a lot of missed opportunities. Um, and also like the, the tears too. Um, where she uh, gives you kind of combat advantages through different elements on the map where you can open a tear to give you extra cover or you can open up a tear to give you health or something like that. Uh, again, like that, everybody saw that trailer that, um, that kind of showcased that element, but I felt like it wasn't very fleshed out. Yeah, and it was, more of, it was more of a gimmick because you pretty much can have Elizabeth not do any of that stuff for you, and you can win most battles. Yeah. Especially with the Vigors, because I feel like in Infinite, you can get very overpowered, kind of like the first one. Yeah. Yeah, to, almost to the point where you can pretty much get through any, any battle without, um, without suffering too many consequences. Well, anyway, I could say the best thing to come out of Bioshock Infinite is the source filmmaker porn. <laughs> what? The source filmmaker oh, porn. <laughs> that's why Ken Levine's all pissed off and the fucking Elizabeth. That's porn. right. <laughs> yeah, she's just fucking everywhere. <laughs> he got he got pretty angry about that. I remember he had some sort of like massive internet rant. Um, yeah, where he was like really disgusted by people making <laughs> porn of Elizabeth, but you know. <laughs> Rule 34, man. <laughs> you're sick. not going to stop it from happening. Sick right. people like Mike who love that stuff. What? I, what? <laughs> Come on, bro. Now, how many times have you watched now, Mike? <laughs> I do it in moderation, okay? It's not like I'm a dick. <laughs> like, I was watching it before this podcast. I was getting ready. I was He's doing my watching research, it right bro. now. <laughs> Dude, do I have my screen on, on live or what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, I did like the eagle though. The eagle was really cool. Oh, the songbird. The songbird. Yes, songbird. Songbird. That was pretty cool. I kind of felt like he was supposed to show up more often and be like a menacing, kind of like the big daddies. Yeah. Um, I felt like he was gonna be like one of those reoccurring, massive bosses that um that really puts your abilities to the test, and it's more of like a story element than anything else. Yeah. He just kind of shows up and like does like those not really quick events, but you have to avoid him and kind of just not not, not even that not engage just, him that well. Like I no, left the hallway. He's more of an element of the story rather than an element of the gameplay. Yeah. Right. Well, I, and I was gonna say, and you guys already brought it up. Um, just I was gonna make another connection. So the morality system that was lacking in Bioshock Infinite. Uh, they did have that in Bioshock to a small degree. It felt pretty superficial with the with Little Sisters where you had the choice to either save them or kill them. And if you killed them, you gained more <laughs> at them. And if you saved them, you got less at them. 
but then it also uh, changed the ending to the story a little bit mm-hmm. based on mm-hmm. whether you, you saved him or not. And uh, so there was some of that in the original game. And so when I played Bioshock Infinite, the very first choice, at least that I remember that comes to mind, is when you're at the... Um, uh, it's like the carnival and there's a show and there's the the black guy and the white woman and they're having a relationship so they put him up on stage and you have the choice. I thought it was a white guy and a black girl. It was. Okay. And you know someone's <laughs> pelting him with rocks and you have the choice to do the same or not and then but ultimately even though it has the consequence of bringing attention to yourself ultimately it doesn't change anything. It's just a way to introduce you into the way the world is like that Comstock has created. And yeah. like you said, with the rest of the choices in, in um, Infinite, they ultimately have no impact on the overall game. So that that is the one thing I would change. I would I'd like to see more of that in Infinite because it really does seem story-wise and world-building-wise that it would lend itself a lot better. Because like you said, when you play through it again, you notice there are gaps. It's like, oh, this mm-hmm. there should have been something here. There should have been something there, and there wasn't. So hopefully if they ever get to redo it, if Ken Levine gets a chance to go back and redo Infinite, he'll do that. Um, in the first Bioshock, when you have the choice to either save or harvest the little sisters, though, one thing I'll say is that uh, I never had an issue getting Adam because, what's her name? Is it Tenenbaum? Tenenbaum, yeah. 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 Like, she, she's like, well, if you save them, I'll give you Adam anyway. and. So you just get a slightly lesser amount, but you still get way more than you need by the end of the game. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a matter of do you want to get powerful now or do you are you patient enough to you know get the get more powerful stuff later. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it's superficial because ultimately you're making a decision that in the long run doesn't really impact you. Uh I mean, we talked about this with Mass Effect in our last podcast where the uh, decisions that you make in Mass Effect, you know, impact things that happen throughout all three games. But you, in this game, the impact is almost non-existent. I, f- I feel like the framework is there for it. Um, and I feel that if they did include it, it would um, it would change things quite a bit, but also, you know, breathe a little more life into the story and uh, and your character. I feel like it's just more of a missed opportunity. And of course, there's limitations. I understand the limitations that they had at the time. But uh, so I many just, games do that too, though, where they, yeah. they they introduce saying like, oh, you make choices and decisions, and then you're like, oh, well, that doesn't really do shit. And right. lots of games do that. But, you know, you have to think about too is, you know, from a, a technical perspective, that's a lot of work. It is. I would. Right. It so. is a lot because you have to now... You now have to think into the future, what's going to happen, and how many different directions can you go in, right? And what different combinations of choices can you make, right? They should just get R.L. Stein as a writer then, so he could do those (laughs) Choose Your Path Adventure books. (laughs) (laughs) That's right, Choose Your Own Story. Choose Your Own Goosebumps. Uh, Well, here's here's my counterpoint to that, though, is that Mm -hmm. with Infinite, you get one ending. But even in Bioshock, which is the first one in the series, you have two endings. Mm-hmm. So I don't understand why they couldn't have done at least the same thing, at least yeah. two endings for Infinite. And two is oh. good enough because that's automatically a replay value. I got to go back and try it and do it and get the second ending, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, so I think yeah. we're all kind of in agreement on the kind of things that they needed to be fixed. 
So we'll see where it goes from there. So finally, to close out our podcast, I have our final question for us. What is your favorite Bioshock game and why? And uh, I guess I'll go first on this one. The... So, I mean, obviously, I only have two to choose from because I haven't played number two. (laughs) But um, ultimately, I probably have to go with Bioshock Infinite. Uh, I really like the original Bioshock. Um, I mean, it's it's close. But I think ultimately what makes a difference for me uh, is that story element of Booker being Elizabeth's father and also being Comstock. And and even though it, it missed some steps on the way it told the story and it didn't exactly do a great job of, you know, hiding that concept that he was her father and he was also Comstock. Um, ultimately, I, I, I can always, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm a father of, of girls. Uh, it's, it's like with Last of Us where... Um, the beginning of the game, you know, he, the, 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 the stuff happens and, and he and his daughter are trying to escape and she ends up dying in his arms and like that, that got to me. Cause you know, as a father losing a child that, that would be, you know, that would be devastating. And it's kind of the thing here where, you know, this guy is doing a job because he has to do a job and, you know, he's lost his family and he has an opportunity here to redeem himself. And I always love these redemption stories, I guess. I think that's part of the reason why I love Western so much, because a lot of times they're redemption stories. And uh, and to me, that's what, what Bioshock Infinite is. It's a type of redemption story. And I, I like the character of Booker DeWitt. I think he's a, he's a pretty well-fleshed-out character. And I like the interactions between him and Elizabeth, especially because she's so naive and it gives him an opportunity to, to teach her things. Now, did they completely fulfill that the best way they could have maybe not they probably missed some story beats here there but ultimately it's the story that sold me on on infinite not so much the gameplay i think the gameplay between the two probably the original bioshock is better i feel um but the story elements between those two characters is what really uh drove me to play because it's the only bioshock i've gone through and played again i tried going through and playing the original bioshock and it's not that i disliked it just you know I, I didn't feel like I was gaining anything by going through it again, but with Infinite going through it again, there were things that I, I had missed between their conversations that I hadn't picked up before that, you know, I got the second time around. Nice. Um, yeah, makes sense. You're a dad. Booker's a dad. <laughs> well, I mean, and also uh, uh, the voice acting was, I, I think, really... Uh, and it was really excellent in in Bioshock Infinite, which is why I think their relationship and you know them bouncing off each other in conversations really worked well. So how about you, Frank? Your favorite? I'm gonna cheat because <laughs> I always do. But uh, I my favorite is the first one, but my favorite to play is Infinite. Because the first one, uh, I think it's that story is just so well fleshed out. It's it's. I love Rapture. Rapture is definitely like the ultimate setting for, uh, for Bioshock, especially compared to Columbia. And the only reason I say Bioshock Infinite is more fun to play is because, kind of like with two. They fix the gameplay elements for 
for one that I had issues with, like having to switch between the plasmids and your weapons and uh and honestly, once you get the electric gel and you get the telekinesis, it's over. Like that game is so easy to just walk through at that point. Like uh once I had those two, I could beat any big daddy like within a matter of seconds. I could, you know, I, I beat uh, Fontaine at the very end without struggling too much. Like I remember reading about how a lot of people had issues with the final boss because he kept going and re- regenerating his health. And I'm like, dude, just electric gel him to death. <laughs> I mean, it, it took me maybe a couple minutes. So that's it. I mean, I have gone back to Bioshock. But I haven't finished it again because it's I, it's not as fun to go back to to play. But Infinite is, and I've gone back to Infinite twice. I got it. I played through it the first time I got it, and then I played through it when I got it on PC. And yeah, so Infinite's more fun to play, in well, my opinion. One of the criticisms that I forgot to bring up earlier, um, Bioshock One. The, I, I felt that when you would die in Bioshock 1, there wasn't a consequence because you had the uh, regeneration tubes or whatever they were called. And the Vita Chambers. The Vita Chambers. And I, I remember the, the first time I realized that this game was going to be, it, was gonna, it wasn't going to be easy, but it wasn't going to be challenging is there was, a, there was a point where I ran into a big daddy, big daddy, <laughs> big daddy in this, <laughs> uh, in this perpendicular hallway, right? And mm-hmm. that he was going from one side to the other. And because of the, the, there wasn't enough space for me to move around and avoid him, I kept dying. So the first time I died, I, I got rejuvenated in a Vita Chamber. And he already had depleted health. It's not like his health got restored. So mm-hmm. all I had to do was go up to him and keep whacking him and then die and then go back and do it all over again. So it wasn't challenging. It was just... Well, you did lose money, right? James, it reminded me, uh, you lost money, and did you lose uh, Eve or no? Or Adam? No, you didn't lose any Eve or Adam. Uh, you, you lost, lost money. money right? Yeah, you lost money. Wait, um, it, but, it, 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 uh, but you can't turn the Vita Chambers off. The menu. Well, I didn't know that was an option, but I mean, the thing was is that it's on by default. And yes. it just just to be set up that way where every time you die, you get revived immediately to where you left off. And it's like, there's no consequences to your death. I know you lose money, but I never had an issue finding money to buy the things that I needed to do. And like- The for, challenge for, wasn't there. Yeah, I, I never felt the challenge there where, where with infinite, you know, you would die and then you would pick up from a checkpoint with a more traditional style. And so I felt there was more challenge there, especially when you up the the difficulty. The, because those characters got a lot more that a I got got a lot more difficult and cheap in some cases, uh, with the difficulty spike in uh in um infinite. I'm sorry. Anyway, I just wanted to add that in there. But James, tell us your favorite Bioshock game. Um, you know, like I'm torn between the first one and and infinite. Um, but I'm gonna have to go with the first one. Just yeah, it's. Playing it nowadays is a little dated. Um, the The control schemes are just a little dated, not very intuitive. But you know, going back to that original story, the you know the uh, just the overall 
world building of it um i feel is just hasn't been topped in a lot of in a lot of games in its genre and so it's just that's like the one i fell in love with the first time around so i'm gonna have to go with the first one well especially the world building within a single game a lot of times games take multiple games to do that kind of depth to the world yeah, and, and you know, Mike mentioned that he doesn't like the you know having to gather pieces of the story through um, you know through the little tapes that you have to listen to. But you know that just kind of builds on the exploration. You have to explore, and um, and it gives you the opportunity to do a lot of exploring in that game. That's what a lot of people I don't think um, people fully understand about Bioshock One. There is a lot of exploration and a lot of uh, if you like looting, uh, there's a lot of loot to get, um, a lot of little nooks and crannies and, and things to explore. And uh, you're rewarded with a tape that explains more of the story. Um, and that's the kind of thing I appreciate in a game like that, where I can take my time and the world is built around me through the progression of the game. Right. And I think Bioshock one did that did that the best yeah it's good reasons man and mike i saved the best for last because i know your choice is the most uh the most disputed one (laughs) okay so mine is bioshock 2 that's my favorite one just because i had i enjoyed it the most out of all three um i understand all of them are really great games i think so but I can explain why. Um, the first one, like James said, there's more exploration. There's, it seemed more, it's not an open world, but it kind of has areas to explore. I wasn't a big fan of the compass system. Um, the game is good. The shooting's good. Um, I, I guess my biggest thing is, of course, this, like, of course, I don't like the themes, but that's all of Bioshock. But uh like the compass system was kind of weird for me i didn't really like where it tells you where to go but it kind of it doesn't take you to the point of where you need to turn and then change it kind of is just pointing at the direction where you need to be or get to at the whole time so i don't know the route to get there it's just pointing where i need to be and i always thought that was frustrating in the first one i still like the first one i'm just saying that was my problem with that one um I already said what I what I had the problem with Infinite was kind of the story. It's also steampunk. I like using Steam on my computer for games. I like <laughs> listening to punk, but I fucking hate steampunk too. <laughs> like I don't like steampunk. Like steampunk why, shit is stupid. Why don't you like steampunk? I don't know. It's just, it's weird. It's like I, I don't like. It's another one of those things. It's it has. Bioshock had did both of the the early 1930s 40s style, which I don't like. Um, then they changed it to like we're gonna do infinite. I was like, ah, oh, fuck, it's steampunk. I don't like stump- steampunk either. Like, I'm, it's I don't like that style of stuff. Um, so unlike uh, Reese's Pieces, that <laughs> peanut butter and chocolate go good together, you feel that steam and punk don't go well together. <laughs> yeah, steam and punk don't go well together. <laughs> but um, infinite is a good game though. But what I really like about two, it's because I'm fucking simple minded, bro. Like the story is just not super in depth. Um, it's kind of like you're going through a stage of Halo. It's just you get to point A to point B, and that's how you, you progress through through it. That's how I feel. Is I'm gonna keep going in this direction and shoot shit until I fucking win, you know? 
that's that's basically why I enjoyed two a lot. And I didn't have to go too in depth to all the story. Didn't have to really read all the logs to kind of get the basics of what's going on in that one. Um, and actually, I think the shooting control aspect, I don't know if anybody else would agree with me. Um, I think Infinite seemed weird, the shooting aspect. Like, it seemed like no matter what I did, even if I lowered the settings, the aiming seemed oversensitive and kind of not fluent. Fluid? But, yeah, fluid. But that, that's, just, that's just me how I felt about it. I think part two was the most tight controls for like at least aiming and shooting aspect. Which is still a cool game. It just felt weird. And yeah, that's basically the preference of why, or that's basically reasons why. I, I... Thanks, Mike. Be, before we close I, out... I, I can oh, write more if you want. No, no, no that's, that's enough. But before we close out, Frank, what the fuck are you doing with your mouth? <laughs> I was uh, shooting. I was what playing uh, Bioshock Infinite. Uh, <laughs> Dude, but you're there with your mouth half open and your tongue f- occasionally flicking out. Like, what is that? Yeah. Well, that he wasn't doing, he wasn't I was also it. a little confused by what Mike was saying. <laughs> like, I, I want to ask you, and I'm not being a dick. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, well, go for it. Okay, what is it about steampunk you don't like, though? <laughs> I don't know, man. It just seems like a weird universe. But, like, what? I don't know. It just visually doesn't... It's not visually appealing to me. Okay. It's the aesthetics. Like, yes, it's just... Uh, like, I don't know. <laughs> you must you okay. must have hated Wild Wild West, then. Yes. Because it, it, it had all kinds of things you hated. It had, it had steampunk, it had <laughs> westerns, and it had Will Smith. <laughs> I mean, if I could go to a convention with, like, steampunk people or furries, I think I'm going to go hang out with the furries for a bit. <laughs> wow. What if they make you participate? I'm just kidding. Imagine they fucking combine together steampunk furries. <laughs> oh, Jesus. It's like, bro, I'm, no, I'm pretty people. sure there's steampunk furries out there. <laughs> let's let's uh, research uh, it. We'll talk about our next podcast. <laughs> Rule 34, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well... Oh, go ahead, Frank. So I was going to ask this. Um, with Bioshock, uh, would you want them to make another game? I forgot. I, I wanted to bring that up. Would you guys want them to make another game? Yes. Hmm. So that's Does a good question because it, you can answer it two different ways because it's like, do you want them to make a sequel to one of the existing games? Or would you want them to make a whole new Bioshock with a completely different world? I, I don't well, they know. Did underwater. They did underwater. They they did the sky. Now they're going to do outer space. I, I was thinking so inside I mean, a volcano, but you know, whatever. I mean, they kind of did outer space with System Shock too. So, oh, there I you mean, go. They could just bring back the the System Shock and do it that way. And say, I'm going to say, I'm going to say no, um, because. I'm yeah, happy with what we have. Isn't um, there like thousands and thousands of lighthouses? I want to see them all. <laughs> yeah, but now we're getting into uh, you know sequel territory that you either try to create an entire new world, uh, which may fall short, or you go back to Rapture or you go back to um, Columbia. Columbia. 
Um, cool. which, with their storyline, you can always create something new if you want. The way it's set up, I guess. Well, I mean, they've already messed with the idea of a multiverse. I yeah. mean, well, not even messed with. They. The only problem be is like the philosophy of what you guys were talking about has already been accomplished, or it's already been talked or used in the game. Well, I mean, I think personally, the the philosophy can always be revisited because it can always be interpreted in different ways. There's other philosophies they can look at. I mean, think it can about be from explored this, in different ways. You can think about it this way: where you know, there's five Persona games, but aside from one and two, which were directly connected, three, four, and five are just whole new worlds, whole new interpretations of those personas and the way that universe works and you can definitely do the same thing with bioshock where you keep maintain the name but you introduce a whole new world and i mean they didn't but really need the multiverse part to make an excuse for persona, that are they linked though not directly i mean every world is well, its one own in world. infinite wait are you talking about the multiverse no he was asking about persona yeah, oh persona, okay. are they linked because bioshocks they're linked because of the towers right like they're talking about the dimensions right 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 they're linked in that sense and the multiverse. In the case of Elizabeth, she has the power to go to those different universes. But again, that doesn't need to be something that needs to be followed up on. Uh, I, I don't think so. As a matter of fact, I mean, from what I've read, there there is a large group of fans that that were dissatisfied with the multiverse concept uh, and didn't like that there were different universes to attend to. And even though they liked the idea of the way Burial Sea was handed, still the idea of you know, being able to traverse different universes some people didn't buy into. But I think part of it, too, is it was kind of handled in a way which was uh, very sci-fi generic as opposed to applying it in a way that was different or new. And uh, well, But again... I did like that they did it that way, though, because it was kind of an explanation of why Infinite's universe exists, sort of in a way. You know? Because when I, going into it, I was, okay, well, this is the exact same thing as fucking Rapture, but it's in the sky. And then adding that multiverse kind of gives a good explanation to why this always happens. And she explains it's, it's always a lighthouse. It's always something like this in the ocean, but it's always the same kind of situation sort of in a way, you know? Yeah. But again, See, it's all go ahead, James. Oh, it's also grounded in real science and real theories about, uh, about our universe. Um, there are actual scientific theories about a multiverse where, you know, choices that you make, um, there may be another, you know, plane of existence where you made another choice um, and you have a different future and a different path. Exactly. I mean, that's what I'm saying. That's one of the coolest things I thought about the whole series was as learning that at the end of Infinite, you know, I think it was kind of like a wrap up of the whole series explaining it all sort of in a way or explaining why that universe exists. You know, yeah, yeah, but uh, I, I mean, it, it also explains like the uh, also the elements of the world building, right? Yeah. Um, how can you know how can you have a a city in the sky? Well, it kind of explains that through like this multiverse theory with um, quantum physics, and so it's all part of the world building, I I think. But again, I don't think you need that aspect of the story in order to continue the Bioshock series. I Again, like with Persona or other games of its type where you have a th common theme across the game. So Bioshock, like we talked about it earlier, has to do with a person in, in using their philosophy to try to recreate a world that in their mind used to exist that in reality doesn't exist. And, and, and it causes more harm than it does good. And I think if you build another Bioshock game around that concept, 
then you're then then you're better off and then you maintain some of the other themes with the mechanics about the first person shooter and having things like plasmids or abilities you know even though they may come under different names and again i understand why they did the multiverse theory but i don't think again it needs to be something that has to constantly be revisited especially if if uh if fans are going to react negatively to it now but i personally didn't have an issue with it i just felt it was just introduced in a very generic way that you know that other sci-fi stuff does it wasn't like anything that was used any different way from a story point element like i said i like it because it's a redemption story though part of it i felt redemption stories are better when the character comes to the conclusion on their own about what they need to be redeemed by rather than oh well i just saw an evil version of myself and now i think i need to make better decisions in my life and so that i think that was part of the the issue with that but they wanted to go that way with the multiverse and that was fine i still think it worked for what it needed to do um but ultimately yeah i think they can make more bioshock games and if they were to make another one would i be interested in playing it yes so basically you're saying it's just you're okay with it being just a reimagining if it was just another bioshock yeah i mean yeah i guess we could say it's a reimagining i just again think you can create another game without having to worry about what happened in the previous games or not they don't have to explain the multiverse just make a story yeah it doesn't even have to connect to the original games directly it can be it, again just call back to them thematically cool no, no that would be cool too i mean i'm okay with either or so i would agree but in the state of video games nowadays i don't think it would be done right it's the the sequels and making too many games <laughs> well also you know you also have very large AAA studios their goal ultimately is to make as much money as they can so they're gonna throw in a lot of like nostalgic stuff they're gonna throw in uh stuff that really doesn't need to be there in order to sell the game um, hey guys you remember bioshock one we're gonna put yeah. this in it it's like, yeah that, well, that kind of stuff pretty much let's see yeah <laughs> and and they uh you know the state of video games nowadays i don't think it lends itself to a a good sequel that could come about that's the thing do you think bioshock as a whole the the three games is a good trilogy no you think they're too different from each other yeah i i think the the issue that i really have is just they all feel very separate and that's not a good trilogy. I mean, they are obviously they all have the concepts are all very similar. The stories have similar themes and the art direction, you know, they they've changed it up, but I wouldn't say it's it's a good trilogy especially uh because of two, honestly. And then the jump from BioShock to Infinite, especially <laughs> with the Infinite that we got uh, I feel like we got shortchanged. So I love the series. I, I mean, I love one in one in Infinite. I, you know, I will go back and play two, but I wouldn't say that it's a solid trilogy. Well, I mean, I wouldn't even call it a trilogy because I mean they're not a continuation of the story. They're they're a trilogy in the sense of that they share themes, but really one and two are the the duology, and then Infinite is its own thing. And then you just yeah. have, in general, this Bioshock, Bioshock series. Okay, so I actually don't remember. Is two in the same universe as one, or is it a different Rapture? No, it's the same it's one. The same it's, rapture. Rapture. It's, it's the just, same Rapture. Okay. It's the same Rapture? It's after the first game. Yeah. 
because it's been a while since I played it. <laughs> All right, so oh, um, the only thing I wanted to talk about is just this one last thing uh, with uh, Infinite is some of like the, the historical elements they also put into because I, you know, obviously like a lot of history, so uh, they included a lot of history in uh, you know in the world of Colombia. Uh, Booker DeBit was part of the Seventh Cavalry, which um, carried, the history out carried out wounded knee. And in fact, if you look at his, uh, if you go like, there's parts where you're in his office. If you look up on his wall, you actually see, um, I guess, his war medals, uh, his rank. He's with the Seventh Cavalry. Um, he actually has um, a Medal of Honor, which was given out during the Battle of Wounded Knee. Um, some people view that now in history as not a very good thing that the um, that the military did slaughtered a lot of um, innocent women and children. Uh, and it, it carries, everybody, yeah, it uh, it carries over into the character himself because he actually um, he regrets that that whole incident. Um, it's affected him pretty badly too. There's minor details that flesh out the character that yeah, you didn't know. Yeah. Pretty cool. Not I, only I, that, I but he was also in the Boxer Revolution. Uh, was it the Boxer Revolution? Boxing, Boxer Rebellion. Boxer Rebellion. Um, the Boxer Rebellion, uh, American troops were actually sent into China to go deal with that. Um, so, I mean, there's, like I said, there's a lot of historical stuff behind it. Um, yeah, and but I, I, I could really appreciate that as fleshing out the character. You know what? I I can agree with you to an extent, but kind of like Bobby said, I think it was done in a very superficial way. It's like here's his backstory, and yeah, they'll sprinkle some stuff in, but uh, I think it's more kind of propped up as opposed to really fleshed out. Well, I mean, it gives the character. It sets him in, in in a reality. It sets him in in the world. Uh, having those little details, uh, and like I said, if you're not familiar with history, you're not going to know a lot of this stuff, and you're not going to really recognize um, that detail in the background. Uh, you know, he was a soldier. You know, he was, uh, and he was also part of the Pinkertons, which was also a a real life organization, uh, actually a company that uh, did some horrible things. Everything that Booker DeWitt was a part of in his younger years was all horrible, horrible stuff. Yeah, but I don't think that it was fleshed out as well as it could have been. Like, it was given to him, but it's so much of an afterthought Mm -hmm. because in the gameplay and the story that they're telling you, you know, after you learn about it, it's it's really not the focus. Um, it, you know, it's just, oh, you know, I feel bad about what I did. I was part of the Pinkertons. I was part of the the battle uh, or the Wounded Knee Massacre. Knee. But, you know, it doesn't really have a huge impact on the story that I think the way it could have been. Well, I, I think... think if, I don't remember if he speaks. I don't remember his voice. It's Booker, yeah. He does speak? Like, while yes. you're playing? I don't remember this. Oh, yeah. Dude, he's, yeah, he's... The most vocal. Well, he's the only vocal protagonist. Okay, <laughs> I don't really don't remember, dude. It's been a while. 
So, I mean, obviously they're dealing with a world that's not our own. It's supposed to be a multiverse, so it's an alternate reality that we have, obviously, flying cities and shit. But, um, you know, like Wounded Knee happened in, in, uh, in 1890, and the game takes place in 1912. So, I mean, this stuff happened 22 years ago, uh, time frame-wise. And Elizabeth is supposed to be how old at this point in the game? 17, or no, 18. Now, is this... Am, am, am I remembering this correctly? Where um, did his wife leave him and take her, or did his wife, his wife die died. and he gave up his daughter to those his wife scientists? Died, I think, in childbirth. Right. He gave up yeah. his daughter to his future self, didn't he? Yeah, <laughs> something like that. Right. Like he gave up his right. daughter to somebody. Okay. And so, so that time has passed in real life because it feels to me like. I, for some reason, it stuck in my head like he gave up his daughter like a few years ago, and now he runs into this older version version of her on the job. Well, but is that that's where the, the whole multiverse comes into play because yeah. you experience that time dilation uh, later on in the game, where uh, Elizabeth's been captured, and come to find out, um, she's been uh, she just got captured and was taken away, but then. This event happens, and now it's been six months, and you're not realizing that that much time has passed. You're still looking for her, but six months has already passed, and she's already, you know, uh, been tortured and uh, uh, and brainwashed by Comstock. Um, but then, you know, it brings you back, and again, that's part of that whole multiverse multiple dimension time dilation kind of thing that's going on right so we just don't know the booker that we see um he just gave up his daughter that's but elizabeth is his daughter now older and 18 years old so i guess what i'm trying to understand is is the 1912 in reference to where columbia is or is 1912 the time the year that uh booker is from well, both. Both. It's, he's going up to Columbia in 1912. Okay, so he didn't have a family until 22 years after the fact. After the fact that he dealt with Wounded Knee and, you know, several, you know, probably a decade after he dealt with being a member of the Pinkertons and, and the You're Wounded probably dealing with him... Um... Are you talking about as you're playing him? Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out where, where at what point he is in his life. I mean, if we're talking about a 22-year gap, you, you figure he was maybe 18 when, you know, the wounded knee incident occurred in 1890. So at this point, he would be 40 years old. Yeah, he's, in his, he's in his 40s, maybe closer to 50 uh, when you're actually uh, playing as him. So I'm just trying to understand, you know, if it's been that long since he's had those experiences, you know, how much and he's and he was able to have a family and then have regrets about things that have happened with his family you know how much of him is actually lost you know it's just those kinds of things that seem a little bit more inconsistent and that's where we come back to the issue with the story not being as well fleshed out yeah. as it could have been but i always thought once he once you transverse to the, like rapture or to the what's columbia it? columbia columbia once he transfers to that, I thought they were going to. That's when they go to a different part of the multiverse. Like yeah, I thought he was they do. transporting to a different one. Because yeah. how could there be two bookers if he's the villain, unless he went to a different dimension? Well, because then, those those twins brought him. Um, 
those twins are are the ones that are bringing him in in and out of those uh, multiple universes too. Well, that's the thing. There can't be two bookers unless one of them's transversing to a different universe. No, no, yeah, we're not yeah. arguing that. We're just talking yeah. about how does that affect time then? Because I don't understand time, then what yeah. time period Booker oh. is coming from. But what t- what was the year when he went into the? Well, the the, it right? said that the game takes place in the year nineteen twelve. Twelve. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh, sorry, man. I didn't. I didn't mean to get mixed up on that. I just thought it's like... it's a little convoluted because we're dealing with multiverses. We're dealing with time dilation, um, moving in between time periods because you know Elizabeth can open up tears in different times too. Um, you saw that she opened up a tear in Paris in the 1980s because there were there was a a marquee that said. Um, was it Return of the Jedi or something like that? Yeah, uh, I don't know if you guys noticed that, but well, yeah, they have um, you know uh, mu- music from the '70s play at one point and yeah. stuff like that. I mean, it, it's literature. Well, actually, I think Tainted Love is is played at one point. Uh, I think the Beatles is played um, as a barbershop quartet. Um, but yeah, there's this this whole. Uh, traversing both time and space uh, that seems to be all mixed up all in this one universe that's you know up on yeah. in Colombia. Uh, um, I gotta go back. That's probably why everything's all all kind of screwy and things aren't what they seem to be in that in that in that world. I really need to play all of this again. Uh, talking about it's making me like pique my interest again about story wise and stuff like that. Plus, Eric has been wanting to play it for a while. Yeah, there's a lot of there little details in that in in Infinite uh, that I can appreciate. Plus, thank you, Mike Prime. Mike Prime gave me a copy of his uh, uh, HT collection. Awesome. I just haven't used it yet. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that's that's kind of a, like a weak way of explaining some of the convoluted stuff, um, but. I know I can appreciate what they're trying to do. Ultimately, we're just going to go around in circles about what we're trying to figure out. I I think they did. They did it pretty well to explain Bioshock Infinite. I'm I'm going to have to disagree with that one. (laughs) (laughs) I don't I don't think they did as good a job as they could have done to explain because I mean yes they explained that those things exist but the rules don't exist there mm-hmm. there's no set guidelines on when she makes tears what goes where and uh and i know part of it is because well she's young and she's still learning how to control her powers but then to to then help it explain what's going on with the story still i, I don't feel i think there are things that are lacking and again it comes back to the possibility that maybe they didn't have enough time to flesh those things out yeah or, I mean, or maybe they left it purposely it. vague because they were gonna extend you know add more to it like frank said that chapter is missing that we're probably never going to get or maybe there is a plan for bioshock 4 that was going to expand on it i mean we don't know uh maybe one day we'll find out where they just look well in the inconsistencies in infinite i mean it breaks a lot of its own rules a lot a lot so i think what you know whatever the morality system maybe was going to factor in but even if it wasn't, what we did get was very inconsistent because, uh, I mean, one thing that really sticks out to me is when, you know, when you see the people who you killed and then they're alive again in the dimension you're currently in 
and but they're all you know twitchy and they're bleeding out of their nose but then of course booker who was killed in one of the multiverses you know his nose is bleeding but he's completely fine that doesn't make any sense yeah so i don't know there's just there's a lot of inconsistencies with infinite story uh like the historical uh historical references yeah they, they are cool but you know to me they don't really add to it as much as they expected it to you know like it's fun it's fun to play i think it just (laughs) it adds to the tragedy of the character that's all what i think after after this discussion i can i can i change my favorite game to bioshock now (laughs) <laughs> Bioshock 2 that's the only way you can change <laughs> but no I mean just if you focus on the characters like Booker and Elizabeth's relationship and his redemption story it's mm-hmm. still if you were it, without all you know the quantum physics and all the extra stuff that they try to do with it that they stumbled all over then it's still a pretty good story you know the, the characters are likable very likable as a matter of fact I, I like Booker's character a lot Yeah, you know He's got a lot of personality. And Elizabeth, like, she is great. So I, I wouldn't I would she's, she's probably one of the best uh side NPCs. characters for yeah, NPCs for a uh, shooter. That's I'd say in general. In general? Know? Yeah, because okay. you don't have well like her and Ellie, because it's like, oh yeah, they're you don't have to worry about them. They can handle themselves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, she was. She's a really good character, though. I mean, think that's a really good drawing point for Infinite, also. Which, yeah. what's actually really cool, though, is I could at least say this: though each Bioshock has its own charm or something it brings to the series. Yeah. Unless you, unless you say two sucks balls, then whatever. No, <laughs> I just, I just, I just haven't gotten into it for as, for what I did play, but I, I think do. they all bring something to the table for it. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, and, and you know we we can say that two is is the weaker of the bunch, but like I said, it's just the story is just weaker. I mean, it's not a bad game by any means. I suggest people go and play it. Um, but just out of the three of them, um, that one's probably the weakest. And I'm not gonna say it's a bad game. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that you you suck for liking it. Uh, I understand why you like it perfectly. Uh, it's just weaker. All right, I think I think we're all good here. So I'd I'd like to thank uh, Mike B, Frank, and James for coming out to tonight's podcast and uh, recording this much more in depth discussion of Bioshock than I had originally anticipated. Uh, I will admit I had difficulty writing the questions up for this episode, just um, partly because you know there's only three games of the series of which only two I played, but also because uh, I, I didn't know where we would go with the discussion for this one. And uh, maybe that was for the best because it kind of opened up a lot of things for us to discuss, especially here at the end. So thank you for joining us for in tonight's podcast. Thank you guys for coming out tonight. And thank you. Uh, thanks for having us. All right. Thanks for having me, man. It was fun. And uh, next time we meet, I don't know what podcast we're doing next. We had talked about doing an episode on Street Fighter versus uh, Mortal Kombat and talking about the differences between the two games, what makes them uh, good and bad. Uh, but uh, I had also mentioned to Frank 
that I think now would be a good time to do a episode on Final Fantasy VII since people have had enough time to play the remake. I know, James, uh, you've been playing it. Did you ever finish it? I have not finished it yet, but I'm still getting through it. Okay. and uh, But we may we may do that next, so we'll see. We'll figure that out. But anyway, thank you, everyone, for listening tonight, and we will see you guys next time. Laters. Bye. Bye. Bioshock, as we see it. In our previous podcast, we generally agree on what makes a particular game or series great in our eyes. What I loved about today's conversation, though, was the opportunity for a true debate, as not all members of the group felt the same about the series. As a series, yes, we all love it, but the distinct differences in what we love really allowed for different perspectives to be shared. And the best thing? The conversation was civil, albeit lowbrow, but civil nonetheless, and that's how it should be. This episode's opening and closing music come directly from the Bioshock series. The opening music titled Welcome to Rapture was composed by Gary Scheiman and released in Bioshock. The closing music titled Elizabeth was also composed by Gary Scheiman and released in Bioshock Infinite. Check the description for links to the audio tracks. Thank you for tuning in to today's show. I will leave you with one last quote from Ayn Rand. I can't actually find any attribution to her, but I'm confident it's something she would say, especially about the Bioshock series. Come on, man, what the fuck? Ayn Rand. See you guys in two weeks when we discuss Final Fantasy VII.